Good morning. It's Friday, the 30th of June, and I'm Govindraj Ethiraj in transit till the weekend and missing the pouring rains, utter chaos, deepening potholes, and unfinished bridges in Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top reports for today Mumbai is seeing more 100 crore rupee house deals than ever before. Global consumer brands are leading the next round of manufacturing investments in India as global supply chains shift and the Indian market grows. The Adani effect plays out as SEBI finalizes guidelines for more transparency amongst foreign investors. And the CEO's diet. What's a fiber diet and how should you be starting one? This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. Real estate deals get bigger. There are more 100 crore rupee house deals than ever before. Millennials and younger people are back to buying houses or trying to and many large business houses have now entered real estate. While names like Mahindra, Tata and Godrej were the earlier entrants, now there are Hero, Birla, Jindal, TVS and Kirloskar who've also entered the real estate sector. These are some of the major trends that we are seeing in the real estate sector. Also, expect more supply and more if you are in a city like Mumbai, mess, I would think. But the industry is growing strong with prices rising almost everywhere except Mumbai again and construction of course is in full swing. And by the way, 50% of the total sale in terms of value amongst the top 6-7 to cities in India happens in Mumbai. I found out all of this when I spoke to Anuj Puri, chairman of Anarok, a real estate research and consulting firm. He laid out these mega trends for me. I think lots of changes in that is that have surprised me. One, you know, millennials who used to rent are wanting to buy. Second, people are wanting bigger. You know, just before COVID, the houses were getting smaller, smaller, smaller. Suddenly, you know, they're moving bigger, bigger, bigger. They want better quality. They want more infrastructure. They want more open spaces, more ventilation. Uh, they want projects of good quality developers. Lots of other things like they want plots. If you come out and sell, they are like, you know, overnight they sell. Villas, uh, bungalows. Second homes in places like Alibag, Lonavla, Goa. What is one big thing that really surprises me is that uh, the value of homes that are being sold above 100 crores. You know, before COVID, we would do, say, one deal a month. Currently, we do three to four deals a month, which are of uh, apartments valued more than 100 crore rupees, each of them. So this has mostly been Mumbai? Largely Mumbai and a little bit of NCR. NCR will not be a, a hundred crores. NCR will be more like 25, 30 crores and above. But previously, you wouldn't find those many. Today, you find a lot more which are selling in NCR as well. So clearly, you know, the demand for residential has become more sustainable. We thought it was going to be sort of during COVID, it was a pent up demand. But it does look like that it's a very sustainable demand and people want better quality and they're willing to spend the money. So there are two or three things here, dots, if we can call it that. One is there seems to be a clear aspirational dot. Uh, second is, let's say, the wealth creation, which now people are willing to spend and demonstrate in some ways with the 100 crore deals. The aspiration part could be, and you have to uh, correct me, is the desire to live in a bigger home or is it driven by something else? 
The third is, I think, an interesting point that you made about millennials, which till now, intuitively or counterintuitively, one always assumed that they did not want to buy. So what's connecting these three things here, if at all? I think there are three Mm. dots that I would Mm. say which are Mm. connecting Mm. each other. One is the need. More than the aspiration, Govind, it is the need today to say is, uh, you know, I need something which is slightly bigger because even if I have to work one day a week from home, I need a study. Mm. I need a proper area. Uh, you know, if uh, another event like COVID was to come in, I need to get my parents in. Mm. I need to have, you know, maybe nanny at home for the small kid. Mm. Uh, you know, they were not able to do that. So it is the need today to say is I need a little little bigger than what I used to live in. Second is on the millennial side, they used to rent many building societies during this COVID differentiated if you were an apartment owner versus if you were a tenant. If you were an apartment owner, the rules were a lot more flexible. You could bring in domestic help, you can bring in friends, you could bring in relatives. If you were a tenant, they were very strict. You could not bring in any of those external guys into the building. And you know, the tenant then said, I don't want to live like a second citizen in the building. I want to go out and buy. That's where these millennials who were renting previously are buying. Plus, I think also the biggest thing is the social security. Where, you know, their partners are saying or the parents are saying is, guys, you should have roof over your head, which you own. And that's where I think is that it's the need. It is the circumstances, you know, that have led these guys to today, not really just rent it, but, you know, own and buy. And third is they're seeing that the value of the property is starting to go up. As a result of it, perhaps it's better for us to buy today than, you know, miss this cycle. You can catch the full conversation with Anuj Puri on Saturday on the Core Reports Weekend Edition. India's new round of manufacturing investments. Two years ago, almost to the month, I was moderating a panel discussion on sustainable manufacturing in Mumbai. One of the panelists was a director of supply chain for South Asia Pacific for L'Oreal, the cosmetics major. L'Oreal, by the way, is a 38 billion euro by sales brand you likely know of but perhaps do not pay attention to the making of it. The company employs some 1,600 people in India today across two manufacturing facilities and two R&D facilities. The Indian R&I, I for Innovation Hub as L'Oreal calls it, is one of six L'Oreal global hubs and cater to hair, skincare and makeup. What emerged from that conversation two years ago was that companies like L'Oreal were actively looking at two things strategically. First, to step up the nearshore market presence, as in manufacture closer to or right in the market. And second, look at alternatives to China. The reason for the former was to do with sustainability and the reason we were all meeting that day and reducing the supply chain footprint. The reason for the second or the China plus one strategy as we call it is known. Now, Sanand in Gujarat, an hour's drive from Ahmedabad, has several manufacturing plants ranging from automotive to automotive ancillaries to chemicals and light engineering, including air conditioners. It's now seeing an interesting mix of very high-tech and consumer brand investment announcements. Micron Technology said earlier this week that it was setting up a 22,500 crore rupees semiconductor plant in Sanand. The assembly, test, marking and packaging facility will come up on 93 acres of land in an industrial estate there. The facility would transform wafers into what is known as ball grid array integrated circuit packages, memory modules and solid state drives. 
India, as I have pointed out on this show in the past, is very keen to set up semiconductor capacity here because of its strategic nature and the fact that in a shifting geopolitical scenario, you don't want to be going around begging for chips, which connect to, by the way, almost everything in your home, car, and of course, mobile phone. But it's not just strategic semiconductor plants that are going to Sanand. Procter & Gamble has committed to invest 2,000 crore rupees to set up a plant which will make, among other things, digestives, or mostly its healthcare brands. The unit is expected to be more export-oriented, according to the company's announcement just now. Procter & Gamble makes probiotics and laxatives in this area, though they are not sold in India as I could see. The interesting thing is Procter & Gamble, also the maker of Whisper and Pamper, had agreed to set up in Sanand and met with the government in 2021 itself, going by a report in the Times of India then. The scope of the project and the products that are being manufactured seem to have expanded since then. The TOI at that time also quoted officials, this is by the way in Gujarat, saying Procter & Gamble was moving production from Indonesia to Gujarat, which is an interesting move in itself and fits with what I broadly took away from my sustainable manufacturing panel discussion in 2021 June. Incidentally, around 10 years ago in 2013, Procter & Gamble had announced a major plant near Hyderabad, spread over 170 acres, making a wide range of products going beyond healthcare. Its other plants are in Baddi, Bivadi, Mandideep, Goa and Ahmedabad, the last of which appears to have scaled up since its initial recce visits and meetings like I mentioned. Now the broader point is that while semiconductor projects will expectedly draw attention, there clearly is a steady flow of investments in areas where one would not have normally noticed, including consumer and healthcare products. The reasons are several as I already touched upon, clearly being the domestic market and the government's push towards local manufacturing with incentives, and of course the other global shifts we spoke of earlier. Now, most of these investments will likely create proportionately more direct jobs because of their labor-intensive nature if I were to go by the claims of the companies on different occasions, which I do not really have reason to doubt much. Speaking of local manufacturing in unexpected areas, Japanese clothing and retail brand Uniqlo is looking to set up a significant presence in India through 20 production partners, the Economic Times has just reported. Uniqlo already has production partners in India, as would any global clothing or garment brand, but Uniqlo apparently wants to build production partners for the domestic market as opposed to the earlier lot which were export-oriented. Uniqlo, by the way, began operations in October 2019 in Delhi, has six stores in that city and then added Lucknow and Chandigarh and is now going to come to Mumbai and Bangalore. It also launched its own online store in June 2021. Uniqlo has factories all over Asia, with the most not surprisingly being in China, followed by Vietnam, Bangladesh, India and Indonesia, apart from Japan, where it interestingly enough happens to have the least number of factories. Detailed disclosures for foreign investors are here, thanks to the Adani effect. A key charge in the Adani-Hindenburg imbroglio was that a handful of companies owned most Adani group stocks who were somehow linked to each other and were driving up their stock prices in India. India's market regulatory body, the Securities and Exchange Board of India, had in May released a consultation paper saying foreign portfolio investors who have a substantial portion of their investments concentrated in a single Indian company would have to make additional disclosures. SEBI has now released guidelines on this matter, essentially trying to force offshore entities to reveal their true owners. 
The paper had said that the objective of this exercise was to foster and enhance trust and transparency and greater investor protection in the Indian securities market. That's obviously hinting that trust and transparency levels were either low or were lost. Going by data, as of March 31st, 2023, SEBI has estimated around $31 billion or 2.6 lakh crore rupees or 6% of total foreign portfolio investment equity assets under management and less than 1% of India's total equity market capitalization could fit the quote-unquote high-risk FPI category. SEBI's additional granular level disclosures now cover ownership, economic interest and control for foreign portfolio investors meeting certain criteria on a full look-through basis, being the transparency that I referred to earlier. These enhanced disclosures are aimed at addressing possible circumvention of minimum public shareholding and takeover regulations, SEBI has said. SEBI's chairman has also said that if these disclosures are not made, then the FPI's licenses would be cancelled. Now, existing FPIs, which just to remind you are foreign portfolio investors, will have three months to bring down their positions and new FPIs will have three months to meet the disclosure requirements. The SEBI has now said that the higher disclosure requirement will apply to FPIs holding more than 50% of their Indian equity assets under management in a single Indian corporate group. Individual FPIs or FPIs along with their investor group holding more than 25,000 crore of equity AUM or assets under management in the Indian markets. So the guidelines would apply to them. However, certain entities, not surprisingly, have been exempt. These include government and government-related investors, pension and public retail funds, certain listed exchange-traded funds, corporate entities, and verified pooled investment vehicles meeting certain conditions. Now, market analyst Ambarish Baliga, who I spoke to then, however felt that investors would eventually circumvent this rule by pooling elsewhere or differently. In the markets, basically, investors make money, but the promoters generally create wealth, and that too only on books, because uh, typically a promoter does not sell his holding, unless it's a takeover or a sell-off. So, whatever the promoter is holding, whether it's 75% or 50% or even 35%, any transaction in the promoter holding is closely watched by the markets, and uh, generally selling by promoters is not really taken well by investors. So, I mean, how does the promoter make money from the stock markets? Since uh, his equity holding only shows the paper profits, many promoters park their market holdings with friends, relatives, or known people, or professional uh, warehousing entities. So when the stock moves up, they sell and profit out of it, and nobody really gets to know about it. And this parking also ensures that there is lower real free float in the market, and the manipulation actually gets that much easier. In case a real interest is generated in the market, then these shares are sold off or offloaded to the buyer. And I mean, everyone concerned is quite happy. But this is fine as long as the market cap of the company is about 2,000, 3,000 crores or below that. When it goes beyond, then the whole thing gets much more professional. And that's the time you need an overseas warehousing entity. And that becomes the FPI. And when a FPI name appears on the shareholder list, it automatically adds some value sentimentally. I think people who have been in the market do understand this. And when we actually check the FPI's other holdings, then we clearly see that it is concentrated in one or two stocks, a maximum of 8 to 10 stocks. But the intention is clearly to warehouse. And you know I mean, what game is going on. So I think this step taken by SEBI, it's quite welcome. But at the same time, I'm quite sure 
that these guys who are involved in this will surely find a way out. Possibly a bunch of FPIs will come together and possibly hold 25-30 stocks among themselves with the same uh, intention of warehousing and there will not be too much of considerable holding. Meanwhile, SEBI has also reduced the listing timeline after an initial public offer to three days after the closure of an issue from the current T plus six days. T means the day the issue closes for subscription. This will become mandatory for offers after December 1st this year and will be voluntary from September 1st this year. In general, this would mean that companies obviously have faster access to the capital raised and investors can dump and run more quickly than ever before if they want to, of course. Before I go, did you know that dietary fiber is good for you? What indeed is dietary fiber and why is it relevant to you as an active professional? I asked our health and lifestyle columnist, Dr. Nandita Ayer, a medical doctor and nutritionist, to explain what it is. So dietary fiber is not a nutrient by itself, but it's a nutritional property of food. And it's a type of carbohydrate that the body cannot digest. And it's of two types. Uh, all the food that we eat, which has dietary fiber, gives us either soluble fiber or insoluble fiber. Now, insoluble fiber leaves the body unchanged. It's what adds bulk to the stools and keeps us regular. But soluble fiber becomes a kind of a gel in the intestines. And this gel is broken down by the gut bacteria, ferment it first and then break it down. So it serves as food for the gut bacteria. So people who are active and busy professionals may not necessarily have the time to prepare these well-balanced home-cooked meals. And uh, when we eat a lot of ready-to-cook or ready-to-eat meals, they don't have enough of the vegetables, fruits, whole grains and lentils, which are the main sources of fibre in our diet. Now, the acceptable level of uh, fibre for adults is 25 to 30 grams per day. And it's important to get our dietary fibre from a variety of sources so that there's a good balance of both soluble and insoluble fibre. So, now, simple steps like eating a small salad every day, eating a small portion of mixed seeds and nuts, making sure that we are eating some kind of dals, that is lentils and beans every day, really helps boost our fibre intake. And these things can be incorporated either as a salad or in our regular dal, roti, sabzi kind of meals, in pulaos or in whatever it is that we consume on a daily basis. And then the other important thing is if people are buying packaged foods or ready-to-eat foods, please always check the nutritional label because that's a clear indicator of all the nutrients including how much dietary fibre is there in that food. So check that there is at least 3 grams of dietary fibre in a 100 gram portion of that food. So these are the ways in which even a busy professional can ensure that they're getting enough dietary fibre in their everyday diet. Do read Dr. Nandita Ayer's weekly columns on www.thecore.in or thecore.in and also find her every week on The Core Report where she will pick up a new theme relating to food and wellness linked to her column. That's it from me for now. Have a great weekend ahead and don't forget to tune in to The Core Report Weekend Edition with Anuj Puri for the mega trends that are shaping India's real estate industry right now. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. 
You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.